Judges chapter 6, verses 7 through 16. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Orpah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. And you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Let us pray. Father, we love you this morning. You are a good God. We've gathered together this morning, Lord, because we need you. We need to worship you. We need to know you. We need to hear from you. God, just say it simply, we need you. I ask this morning that you would anoint me, Lord to preach in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. Father, Your people have gathered this morning because they need You. They don't need me. We're not here because of me or anybody in this church. We're here because of You. And so I ask, Father, that You would help me this morning. Help me to feed Your sheep. Help me to encourage Your people. Help me to lift up the, the, the down-spirited. God, help me to challenge Your people to see themselves through the same eyes You see them. Lord, I just ask for Your anointing now upon me. Help me to function in it. Help me to walk in it. Help me to preach in it. And Father, may You be lifted up and glorified. We pray if there be any here this morning that are not saved, that they would come to know You today as Lord and Savior of their life. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning. And when I say you, I mean you. Not your husband, but you. Not your wife, but you. I'm not here to preach today to your children. I'm here to preach to you. Children, I'm not here today to preach to your parents. I'm here to preach to you. As an individual, I sure hope that you showed up this morning with some expectancy that God was going to speak to you. And that you didn't just come to hear a sermon that a bunch of other people need to hear. 
But that you came believing God has something to speak to you. So this morning, I want to preach to you as an individual. And I want to preach on one simple thought. Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. In our text, we learned that Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. We see that God came to Gideon, and God says to him, You mighty man of valor. I'm going to preach about Gideon a little bit and about the anointing of God on the life of Gideon. But I want you to, before I get there, and before we look at God's anointing on His people, I want us to understand just briefly why they were in a situation. Gideon said to God in verse 13, and uh, you don't have to pull this up because I'm going to paraphrase, but Gideon said in verse 13, if God is with us, then why are we in the mess that we are in? Have you ever felt that way? If God is with us, then why are we in such a mess? If God is for us, then why does it seem like everything has fallen apart? Well, at least in Judges chapter 6, I want you to know the Bible gives us an answer. In verse 8, the Lord sent a prophet. And He reminds them that He brought them out of Egypt. And in verse 10, God said, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Now look at this simple statement. But you have not obeyed My voice. I'm not here to tell you today that every single obstacle we incur is a result of our disobedience. The Bible does not teach that. It does, however, teach us that our disobedience has consequences. And the reason that these people were in the situation they were in is simply because, quote, you have not obeyed my voice. That's what God said. We have to understand this morning, as God's people, there is no way around it. If you do not obey the voice of God, there will be catastrophic consequences in your life. I have watched people try to buck that rule and try to find some way around it year after year after year, and their life remains in the same mess year after year after year because they have not accepted the biblical fact the divine law that you cannot disobey God and somehow not suffer consequences. You will pay every time. It's not God's fault they were in the situation they were in. They refused to obey God. In our culture, people get into unbelievable amounts of debt and then ask why they're struggling. God, where are you at in the midst of where I'm at? In in the midst of our suffering. Had they obeyed God with biblical uh, concepts and in their spending, they wouldn't be in the place they were. I've watched people get into unbiblical relationships. And I know I'm getting down to where we're living today and I know there's children here. But I'm going to do it anyways. I've watched people get into unbiblical relationships, unequally yoked, marrying an unbeliever, dating unbelievers, whatever the case may be. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work anytime. It does not work ever. There is always conflict because the Word of God is right and you are wrong. 
and it goes wrong and it ends up in divorce and you've got a split home and you've got all the pains and struggles of that. And I've watched people, Christian men, Christian women especially, who think they can uh, power date and, and somehow change somebody on the back end of dating. There is no such thing in the Bible as evangelism dating. Do not be unequally yoked, period. That's what it says. But I have watched people think, well, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to be the one that wins and everyone else loses. No, you will not. You cannot break the commands of God and not suffer consequences. But I have watched it numerous times in my several years of ministry. People get into unbiblical relationships. Everything goes wrong. And then they want to raise a fist in the sky to God and say, God, why, 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 why? The answer is very simple. You have not obeyed my commands. There is no way around it. You get pregnant and then ask God why. You know why. You know why. You serve God half-heartedly. And then ask where's God at all the time in your life. You want to serve God when it's convenient. You want to serve God when it works. You want to serve God when it feels right. But you want to break the rules when it feels right. And then you expect God to show up all the time. I asked somebody this question recently. Imagine that you're about to get married. And finally, you've been waiting all this time for your spouse to pop the question. And sir, you finally get down on a knee and you say, will you marry me? And your soon-to-be fiancé, well, probably not when you hear the story, but your girlfriend looks at you and says... I will marry you. Here's the deal, though. I'm going to be faithful 85% of the time. That's the deal. 85% of the time, I'm all yours. But I've got my life. I've got things I want to do. I've got some things that, that, that are important to me that you don't seem to think I should have the freedom to do. So 15% of the time, I'm not going to be faithful. How many of you men would say, here, well, let's put a ring on it? Most of you, and I say this cautiously, but I mean it, most of you tried to enter into a relationship with God that way. You never intend to be 100% faithful to God. You just wanted to get what God had to give, and so you made a commitment to be 85% faithful. And I'm here to tell you, God knew it at the time, and just like you, sir, would not put a ring on her finger... God does not save those who are unwilling to make Him Lord of their life. God says, I want all of you there is. I am jealous for you. I created you. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. I've got a marvelous plan for your life. I love you so much. I sent my Son to bleed and die so that I could redeem you and make me make you my own. That's how much I love you. And no, 85% doesn't cut it. But here's what I want us to see. God still answered. I mean, that, that blows my mind. And if you've read the book of Judges, we're only in chapter 6, but about four times already, the Bible says God delivered them, but they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And then they get in a stinking mess and they cry out for help and God sends a judge to deliver them. 
And they have peace for a period of time. And then the Bible simply says, but they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And they end up in a mess again. And they cry out for help again. And here's the thing that I want us to see this morning. God still answers. And if I stepped on your toes this morning talking about being 85% faithful to God, here's what you need to know. God still answers. God still answers, even though we have failed, even though we've not been truly honest with God and not surrendered to God, He still answers when we call out. And God answered here with Gideon. God's answer to the cries of the people was Gideon. And God comes to Gideon and says, You mighty man of valor. Gideon says in verse 15, My clan is the weakest. And I'm the least in my father's house. I sure pray God helps me this morning to spiritually somehow get this stuck inside somebody's soul and that it changes your life forever. The way God sees you is not the same way everyone else does, including yourself. God came to who on the outside. It's not like these statements weren't true. It's not like Gideon was lying about where he came from. He's the weakest in his father's house. His father's clan is the weakest of their clan. And their group is the weakest of the groups in Israel. God did not dispute that, but He looked straight through that. And here's what He said, You mighty man of valor. It's hard to believe that you are really who God says you are. It's hard to believe that God's anointing on your life as an individual is enough to do whatever God's called you to do, but it is. God has empowered us each as individuals, His children, the saved, the redeemed of God. He has empowered us to do what He's called us to do. God would never call you to stand strong in a situation and then leave you powerless to do it. He anointed Gideon. His call was upon Gideon's life. God sees something in you, something spiritual, something that that the rest of the world oftentimes does not see. And here's what I want us to know this morning, because you know the story of Gideon. You know, if you know the Bible, if if you were raised up in church at all, if you know any of the Old Testament stories, you know where this is going. Gideon ends up winning an amazing victory. God called this man, who to the rest of the world seemed like the worst person in the world for the job. And when Gideon heard mighty man of valor, it was like he spoke back to to the angel of the Lord just to let the angel of the Lord know, well, when you say mighty man of valor, you must not realize I'm five foot eight, 140 pounds. I've never swung a sword in my life. I'm the smallest of all my brothers. I'm my family's the weakest of our clan. If that's what you mean by mighty man of valor, you have found him. But here's what I want you to see about the anointing of God on you. On Gideon. It is a real, tangible thing. It is not just a thought. It is not just some word that we preachers use that sounds unattainable and spiritual and so we don't know what it is, so we think we've got it. No, it is a very real, tangible thing in your life whereby the Spirit of God specifically empowers you to do what God has called you to do. It's real. What is the anointing for? 
The anointing is ultimately to help others. That's what it's for. God anointed the judges. God anointed Gideon to deliver other people. Look with me at Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. This is what Jesus said when He opened up the scrolls. This is what Jesus said about being anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable Lord year of the Lord. Jesus said, God anointed me to help others, to preach to the poor, to heal the sick, to set the captives free. I'm here to tell you this morning that the real anointing of God is so that we can be change agents in the world God's placed us in. You can be a change agent in your world, in your family, in your workplace, with your friends, in your school, when you understand that the anointing of God on your life is sufficient to accomplish what He's called you to accomplish. One of the greatest problems that we have is that we know that God's called us to something. We may be stirred to action when we hear the Word of God preached, when we read the Word of God, when we spend some time in prayer and we feel God stirring in our souls the belief that we can, that somehow we can heal this family, that somehow we can reach this person, that somehow we can make a difference in our work, that somehow in our own respective worlds we can make a difference. And then here's the problem. We start talking like Gideon. Well, maybe I was just emotionally moved there and God wasn't really telling me to do this. Look at me. Look at, look at all of my unqualified reasons. Surely God isn't calling me to do this. Surely God isn't really asking me to be this in my workplace or in my family or, or to do this in some form of ministry. And we begin to look at all the things like Gideon. Well, no, not me. I couldn't do that. I couldn't accomplish that. I couldn't be great here. I couldn't be used of God in this capacity because of me. Here's where you've got to see, child of God. And I sure pray that somebody this morning grabs a hold of the spiritual truth. God does not use us because of our talents. God does not use us because of our own fleshly strength, because of our own fleshly wisdom, because of our own efforts to somehow become great. God uses us when we realize that all that we have is still not enough, but the anointing of God is more than enough to do what God's called us to do. And we learn to start functioning in that anointing. We learn to start walking in that strength. We begin to believe, God, You have called me to be a loving uh, a leader in the home. You have called me to be the head of my home and yet to die to myself the way Christ died for the church and the leading of my family. And some man has to let that sink deep in his soul and say, I can do this. I can become selfless. I can lay my life down for my family. And God is able to give me the strength to do that. God is able to empower me to do all that He's called me to do. It's true about ministry. It's true about witnessing to somebody. It's true about reaching somebody in your family. When you learn to do what you do based upon God has empowered me to do it, and you quit looking at yourself, you will finally find strength to do what God's called you to do.
But the anointing is to help others. It's not about me. God doesn't anoint us and equip us and, 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 and empower us just to build up our own little earthly kingdom. If you look at the word anointing, if you look at the idea of the Spirit coming upon somebody in the Old and New Testament, it was never for their own personal gain. It was always to help others. And so I have to know that when I'm functioning in my gift, when I'm functioning in God's call upon my life, it's going to be affecting others. It's not about me. God doesn't give us great earthly wisdom to build up our earthly kingdoms that are going to vanish. God gives us heavenly wisdom. God gives us heavenly strength. God gives us spiritual empowerment. God gives us anointing. You take all that, I wrap that up in the word anointing. That's what I mean by it this morning. God gives us anointing to do what He's called us to do in helping others and impacting this world. And I want to say it again this morning. Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. Quit thinking you can't do it. Quit thinking there's too many reasons that you're not qualified. There's too many reasons you could never accomplish this or accomplish that. You can do all things through Christ. The anointing of God in your life is powerful enough to accomplish whatever God's called you to. If you know the story... God calls Gideon. And the word gets out that Israel is getting ready to go to war with their enemies. Israel's about done letting the Midianites push them around. In verse 32, excuse me, verse 33, the Midianites get a hold of the fact that there's going to be war. And it says, then all the Midianites and the Amalekites the people of the east gathered together. And they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. They were getting ready to go to war. Their attitude was, hey, if they have any strength at all, if now these little pipsqueaks think they're going to do something great and come out against us and keep us from destroying them, we're going to get allies. We're going to get our friends the Amalekites. We're going to get all the people of the east. And we're going to go really give them a whipping to keep them in place. Can I say that hell will always challenge you on what God wants you to be? Hell will always challenge you on what God wants you to be. There will be people who will come against you. They will come together to come against you. The things of this world, everything that could possibly happen to try to get you to not believe on God's call on your life, to think maybe you just got to throw it to the side, maybe you could never be what God called you to be, so much you start questioning, did God ever actually do this? Did God ever actually call me? Did God ever really place in my heart the faith to believe that this was possible? You begin to question it. You begin to wonder about God because hell will come against you and try to get you to divert God's call upon your life, try to get you to push it off to the side and forget about it. But we, brothers and sisters, must stand strong on the fact our God is able. I know what He said. I know what I heard. I know what I've read. I know that God is true. And although that all of hell come together against me to stop me, I'm not going to give up. I'm not leaving my call. I'm going to function in the anointing. It might look scary. I might look outnumbered. But I'm going to trust God. I'm going to be faithful to God. And I'm going to keep pressing through. So Gideon says, we've got to build an army. 
We've got to build an army. Chapter 7 and verse 3. I've got to move this morning for sake of time, but I just want to mention in chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, he has a new name. They call him Jeroboam. Jeroboam, Baal is the false god that uh, the Midianites worship. Jerob means to be at war. His new name was At War with Baal. What a great name. Now in verse 3, Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. This morning, I want you to notice that there were 32,000 people who showed up to be part of the battle. Of the 32,000 who showed up, only 10,000 remained. And it tells us 22,000 were scared. 22,000 were fearful and didn't want to fight. They were glad to leave at the first opportunity to do so. I want to acknowledge that what they were facing was a real battle. It was real. This was not Nintendo. This was not an arm wrestling match. This was, we're going to war, and some of us are going to die, and some of us aren't going to go home to see our wives and children ever again. And so let's not tease the 22,000 who are afraid. But let us see this morning that fear will stop you dead in your tracks. Fear will stop you from doing what God's called you to do. Fear will stop you, sir, from becoming humble. You'd be afraid of what it looked like to be humble. Afraid of what it looked like because you want to be a man. Right? You want to be the head of your home. You want to be the, the guy that's in control. And, and, and Lord, if I humbled myself and really died the way Christ died, I, I, I would look like a, a weak man. You're afraid to embrace God's call upon your life because you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know how the battle's going to be won. And you're afraid. Wives afraid to submit to their husbands the way the Spirit within them is really leading them to do. Because, Pastor, if I did that, my husband would just walk all over me. He'd make stupid decisions. He'd, he'd, he'd be such a poor leader. I've got to just somehow get in the middle of it and shake him up. Afraid of what life will look like. If you do it God's way. Afraid of what your finances would look like if you were faithful in your giving and and, and honest in all of your dealings. Be honest. Many of us at times in our Christian walk have known what God has said, have known what God has called us to, but have been stopped from doing it. Because somewhere there was a fear that if I follow through with this, I don't know what's going to happen. Fear will stop you dead in your tracks. But this morning as I talk to you about don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life, here's what I really want us to see about the dwindling down of these people. 
they eventually were dwindled down to 300. From 32,000 to 300. But here's what I want us to see. Sometimes you have to get people out of your life to accomplish the will of God in your life. And I want, to, I want to clarify what I mean by that because I want you to notice in the text, it's very important you understand what I mean. These were not Gideon's enemies. They were not his enemies. They were on the same team. And they wanted Gideon to win. Trust me. For their sakes, for their family's sakes, for their children's sakes, for their wives' sakes, for their well-being, they wanted Gideon to win. But we learn here that sometimes God does not want everybody in the world helping us fight our battles. Sometimes God says, no, you've got to dwindle this down and we're going to do this in a way that you hadn't anticipated. You're going to have to trust me through this. And it's not that they are against you. It's not that they are your enemies. It's not even that they don't believe in you. But it's that I want you to go through this with less of you and more of me. And so you're going to walk through this in a lot of ways. It's going to feel like you're outnumbered. It's going to feel like you're alone. You're going to be looking around saying, I thought, I thought you were supposed to help. I thought you were supposed to help. I thought, I thought you were helping me get here. I thought we were going to do this thing together. And all of a sudden, you kind of feel thrust out there. And you're thinking, how in the world are we going to do this with 300 people? Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. It's not the number of people. It's not the number of talents. It's the God that we serve. It is the God who has unlimited power, unlimited resources, able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. So, even though there's only 300 of them, we find in verse 8 of chapter 7, In verse 10 of chapter 7, God is speaking to Gideon and says, If you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant. You know, one of the things that I think is beautiful about the Bible, it gives us a real picture of these men. Gideon was being faithful to God, and he, he was moving forward. I believe Gideon, for the most part, had made up his mind, I'd, I'd rather just die out here serving God and trust God because I think we're going to make it out of this thing because God appeared to me and I know what He said and I know His anointing's real and, 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 and we're going to make it through this. But nonetheless, he was still scared. Sometimes serving God is scary, even for the best of God's heroes. Sometimes God's heroes tremble one step forward at a time, but they keep moving forward. And they keep trusting God. And they keep believing God's Word. So God sends Gideon down to hear what the enemy has to say. Tells us that he went down in verse 11 to the camp and was near them in verse 12. And in verse 13, here's what it says. When Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. His companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hands God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. 
And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. I want to ask the question to you this morning. What does the enemy say about you? If God gave you the same ability that He gave Gideon to step down and listen to the things that the enemy, Satan, the, the, the devils of this world, all that hell is unleashed against you, if, if God gave you the ability to tune an ear in and hear them, what would they say about you? I sure do pray they'd say very something similar about me. God's using him. He's faithful to God. He won't turn to the left or the right. This little pipsqueak of a man named Gideon, he's going to do it. He's going to bring 300 men and somehow, some way, the same God that split the Red Sea and led Israel out of Egypt is going to deliver us into their hands. I sure pray the enemy says that. Be honest with yourself this morning. Is that what the enemy says about you? He or she is a man or a woman after God's own heart, faithful to the end, willing to move one foot forward at a time even though they're fearful, even though they don't understand. They refuse to give up, refuse to stop coming, refuse to quit reading the Word, refuse to quit praying. They're faithful to God. Or does the enemy say, yeah, every time we do this little trick here, every time this comes up, they just give up. They get nasty, they get bitter, they go back to gossiping, they go back to doing their old ways, they go back to living this way or that way, they just totally surrender every single time. It's the easiest thing in the world to keep this person down. What does the enemy say about you? The enemy said about Gideon, he will be our demise. You know, the enemy wants you to think about everything and anything except your anointed call from the Most High God. I think it's interesting that the only time we find them talking about their fear here was in the privacy of their own camp. I have no doubt that uh, had they ran into Gideon out face to face, they would have told him they were going to lay him to waste. That's so much how the devil works in our lives. He doesn't want us to think about Anything that has to do with God's call on our life. He wants us to look everywhere else. Look at this problem. Look at, look at your inability here. Look at the last time that you ran this race and how hard you fell. Don't get up and run again. You want to be embarrassed again? You remember how embarrassing it was that last time you fell? You're going to fall even harder if you get back up. Stay down. Don't get into the fight. Just keep your head buried until this thing's over and hope that somehow you make it home. And the enemy will do everything he can to get you to look at every reason that you shouldn't do something great for God. He wants you to forget that God has called you. God has anointed you. God has a purpose for your life. He has empowered you to do everything that He's called you to do. He wants you to get your eyes off everything but that until you finally cave in and say, well, I just must accept defeat. I pray this morning that somebody in this place lets the Spirit of God rise up in them with a thundering, don't underestimate the anointing of God in your life. Because if God is with us, who can be against us? Gideon wins because God's path can't be stopped. God's path can't be stopped. It's a comforting thought for this preacher. 
who does not always do everything perfect, who does not always think the way I should think, feel the way I should feel, act the way I should act, love the way I should love, forgive the way I should forgive, show grace the way I should show grace, study the way I should study, pray the way I should pray. You name it, at times in my life, I don't do a very good job of it. But I've learned one thing. If I stay on the path that God has marked out for my life and anointed me to walk, all of hell can come against me and somehow, some way, I'm going to stay on this thing and I'm going to reach the finish line and with the Apostle Paul, I will be able to say at the end of my life, I have finished the race, I have fought the good fight of faith, I am ready to leave this place and stand before my Lord and Savior and let Him hear Him say, well done now, good and faithful servant, because God has anointed me to walk this path. God has empowered me to run this race. God has strengthened me to fight this fight and all of hell can come against me, but I will not stop. I will not back down. I will not keep moving forward. I will do whatever it takes if I've got to crawl one step at a time. If I've got to walk and tremble as I go, I will do what it takes, but I will keep pushing forward because I will not underestimate the anointing of God to do what He's called me to do. You need to do the same. Amen? Gideon wins because God's path can't be stopped. So worship team comes this morning. I just want to say, walk in the anointing. Not your own strength. God used Gideon to bring victory to Israel. I don't have the time this morning to really elaborate on the greatness of that statement. The Jews were God's people. These are the ones Gideon reminded God of, by the way. Our forefathers told us about all the great things you did. The plagues in Egypt, the sparting of the Red Sea, the the water out of the rock. This is that people, Israel. It's not just any nation. It's God's chosen nation. And who were they delivered by? Gideon. The least in his family and the least of their tribe. That's who. God used Gideon. Stop your excuses. Stop your excuses. Quit allowing yourself to believe that you are destined to defeat because of everything else going on around you. Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. Gideon saved all of Israel. I don't know what the need is in your life. Maybe it's something very personal. Maybe it's about your life. Maybe it's about your work. Maybe it's about your family. Maybe it's about your ministry. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's whatever it may be. Don't underestimate the anointing of God on your life. Don't be discouraged because it feels like you only got 300 people on your side and you're going to fight an army of 60,000. If God is for us. The last thing I'm going to say this morning is I give an invitation. You know, we quote that a lot. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul is making a very important point there, but as a Christian, 
as a Christian, it's fair to just get rid of that word if. There is no if in that statement for my life. There's no if. You don't have, I don't wonder if God's for me. God is for me. God has called me. God has anointed me. I am His child. I am saved. I am born again. I am called. I am anointed to be a husband. I am anointed to be a father. I am anointed to preach. I am anointed to be a pastor. And though all of hell tries to stop me, and though all these reasons might come up to tell me why I can't do a good job of it, I've got to stop focusing on all that and say, God, You have anointed me, and I will not underestimate the power of Your anointing on my life to do what You've called me to do. You are an anointed people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You are anointed. I told you I didn't come this morning to preach to to your husband or to your wife or to your mom or to your dad or to your children or to your neighbor or to the person across the street. I came to preach to you. You, you are anointed. Are you walking in your anointing this morning? Father, I pray that you move all across this room. God, I pray that the spirit of fight would rise up in the hearts of Your children this morning. Spiritual fight. The fight You've called us to. Not our own fights, not our own selfish fights, but God, the spirit of, I'm not giving in to the devil in my life. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that people would get a, a, a picture. God, they would get a vision of the truth You have anointed each of us as individuals to do what you have called us as individuals to do.